Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. I mean, that was the best setup in the world. Tom Brady and Pastor Keith, come on. He has taken every chance today, by the way, uh, to remind me that Tom Brady is not in the Super Bowl. But Tom Brady's protege is, so go 49ers. Um, Anyway, well, hey, if it's your first time here at Celebration Church, uh, my name is Josh Ezell. My wife, Callie, and I, we have the honor and privilege of serving and leading um, the College Park campus um, of Celebration Church. And we would love to meet you if we've not had a chance to meet you. Um, We'll be out in the lobby after service. Please come find us or we will find you. I know that sounds creepy, but um, we really do want to, we really, I don't know how I'm going to recover from that. Anyway, um, We would love to meet you guys and just connect with you. But, hey, before I jump into today's sermon, there's something really exciting going on in the life of our church that I want you guys to know about personally from me. Uh, So a couple years ago, we launched Celebration Internship. And what our internship is, is a hands-on ministry training for anyone who's like feels called to maybe part-time or full-time ministry, or maybe you just want to know more of what that looks like. Um, We're actually starting our spring semester coming up in about a month, but tomorrow night, We're going to be having an internship interest night. And if you're between the ages of 18 and 30 and you feel like, man, maybe ministry is the next step for my life, I want to encourage you to be there tomorrow night. I was an intern once, 18 years old, okay? I thought I knew it all until someone took me under their wing and said, you don't know it all. Let me show you. Uh, I would not be who I am today or be doing what I'm doing today if I would not have taken that step of faith to do an internship. So I encourage you guys, if you want to be a part of that, you can actually come tomorrow night to our church offices or you can just email intern at celebrationorl.org. But hey, today, how many of you guys are excited that our 21 days of prayer and fasting are over? Come on. Can I get an amen? If you're not excited, you probably weren't fasting. It's okay. No judgment here. Um, My family was really excited on Friday morning. Um, We all fasted different things, but one of the things that we fasted together was sweets. And so our girls who are six and seven, they woke up on Friday morning. They're like, yes, the fast is over. Can we have a sweet? And I'm like, yep, here's a Pop-Tart. Let's go. I was like dad of the year for five minutes until I told them they had to brush their teeth after that. But they were super excited about uh, the fast being over. And here's, here's the thing, guys. We really hope that this 21 days of prayer and fasting was something where you not only maybe heard from God in your life, but you saw God move in your life. So thank you guys for taking a part um, in that with us. And today, one of the things that we're doing together to kind of break the fast all together is We're going to take communion at the end of service. So whenever you walked in today, you should have received communion elements. If you didn't, don't worry. We will get you some um, at the end of service. But after the sermon, we're going to take communion together. So I want to encourage you guys, um, don't just, like, get up and leave after the altar call like some people tend to do. Let's all stay together, and let's just have this time together as a community. We remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen? Oh, come on. Y'all can do that. Come on. Amen? All right, we're going to go ahead and get this out the way. Listen, at Celebration Church, you've already heard it twice. We're a church of participators and not spectators. So that means you can say amen, say amen. Amen. You can say get it. You can say "Uh uh-huh. You can say get her done. Whatever you guys want to say, let's just keep it uh, PG rated. But as Pastor Keith said, we've been in a series about taking ground. And simply what taking ground is, is moving forward. And we believe as followers of Christ that we're not only called to move forward, but we're called not to go back to some of those things where we've been at in life. And so we've been focusing on that for the past few weeks. I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the sermons, to get on the podcast and listen to them. But today, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the big thought of today. If you want to take ground in your life, you have to take God with you. If you want to take ground in your life, 
You have to take God with you. I know that seems so simple, but today we're going to look at the life of David and kind of a practical story in his life where you can see this happen, and we're going to learn from it. And so if you got your Bibles this morning, you can turn to 1 Chronicles. We're still in the Old Testament. If you want to know where that's at, that's somewhere after 2 Kings. Uh, 1 Chronicles 11, uh, not 11, 13. We're going to read verses from 13, chapter 15, and also chapter 16. But don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it. But I do want to encourage you guys sometime this week to actually get in your Bible to read 1 Chronicles 13, 14, 15, and 16 because there's some great things in there. And so David, everything that we've looked at so far, he was not yet king. But today what we're looking at, David is now not only the anointed king of Israel, he's actually the appointed king of Israel. Saul is dead, his sons are dead, and David is now king. So the first thing that David decides that he's going to go and do is he's going to bring the ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem. How many people have heard the Ark of the Covenant before? Maybe Indiana Jones? Has anybody watched conspiracy shows like um, The Curse of Oak Island? Anybody else? Okay, just me. On this show, they thank you. They believe that the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is buried on an island off the coast of Canada. Who would have thought Jesus was living in Canada? I don't even know. It's too cold up there. But, but here's the thing. The Ark of the Covenant, it was a real thing. So 400 years prior to David becoming king, uh, we talked about it in our Exodus series, but Moses and the Israelites, they were in a wilderness wandering around, and God gave them parameters to build a tabernacle and to build this ark. It was made out of gold. It was four foot long, two foot wide, two foot high, and inside of this ark was the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And then on top of the ark, there were two cherubim, which if you want me to tell you what that is, is angels on top of the ark, and literally the manifest presence of God lived right there on that ark. And so every where that that ark went, everywhere that that ark would go, the people of Israel were blessed. The people of Israel were provided for. The people of Israel were literally led and guided by the ark, by the presence of God. And so they would even take this ark into battle with them. And so 40 years before David became king, they were against their arch enemies, the Philistines. We've talked about them a couple of times during this series. And whenever they were fighting, the Philistines go, this army, they're not too good. I wonder why they keep winning. And then they saw the ark. They're like, I wonder if it's because of the ark. So they said, we're going to go and capture the ark. We're going to go and take it. So they took the ark of God, and they took it back to their home city. They took it back to where they came from. And here's what they did. They put it in the temple with their god, Dagon. And when they went in the temple the next day, they were like, what's going on? Dagon was face down on the ground, but nothing was wrong with the ark. And they're like, this is weird. So they took Dagon, they set him back up. And then they went back in the next day, and Dagon was face down, and his arms had broken off, and the ark was fine. And they're like, man, something is up with this thing. we got to get it out of here. And so they sent it from town to town, from city to city, and everywhere that it went, it caused problems because God was for the people of Israel at that time. And so they said, okay, if this ark is supposed to go back to Israel, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it on a cart, and we're going to attach it to some oxen. And if it's supposed to go back, they'll figure out where to go. They put it on the cart, and the oxen go, and all of a sudden they go from Philistine to Israel all by themselves. And it winds up at the house of a man named Abinadab. And that's where we pick up the story today, First Chronicles 13, verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. 
The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Listen, if you're taking notes, if you got a Bible, I want you to underline that, circle it, whatever you have to do. This verse 4, I'm going to read it again. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. Let's say it together. It seemed right to all the people. I want you to remember that because here's what David did. He made a decision to go and get the ark, and he asked everybody, what should I do? And they made a decision because it seemed right to all the people. We're going to jump ahead to verse 7. It says, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. I'm sorry if my redneck grammar messes up any of these words. Who would name their kid Abinadab? But anyway, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kedon, what a threshing floor is, is it's made up of little stones, so it's really slippery. Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark, so he died there before God. And then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, this place is called Perez Uzzah. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 15. And so that happens. They fail. David's mad. David's angry at God. He actually leaves the ark at the house of Obed-Edom for 90 days. And 90 days later, in chapter 15, this is what it says. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to place to the place he had prepared for it. He called together the descendants of Aaron and the Levites. And to save time and not go through all the begats and begots and say other names that I don't know how to say, we're going to go to verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went up to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant to the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in the robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the musicians, and Kenaniah who was in charge of the singing choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all of Israel brought up the ark, the covenant of the Lord, with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harps. So what we see here, the first time David went after the ark, he failed. The second time, he succeeded. And actually, this is the part where David kind of danced around naked, if you ever heard that story in the Bible. The Bible is interesting, people. I'm telling you, David danced around naked in front of people. It was awesome. But don't do that, please. I don't want anybody to get in trouble. Uh, but, but here's what we see. David, he said, man, I've got to go after God. Because what David knew is everything without God equals nothing. If you're taking uh, notes this morning, the title of this sermon is simply this. Don't leave home without it. Don't leave home without it. Come on, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for every person in this room today. And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I ask that he would be with us, that he would lead us and guide us in all that we do. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each of us individually. God, I ask that you would take my words and you would use them and you would give me words that are not my own. And God, I ask right now that we would leave here changed, God, not because of who we are or not because of what I say, God, but because of who you are and because of your son, Jesus. We say, speak, God, we are listening. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. Well, hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor this morning and say, neighbor. Oh, come on. Y'all can hear that. Come on, say, neighbor. Don't leave home without it. Turn to your other neighbor, your second choice. Tell them not to leave home without it as well. All right, so uh, did anybody grow up and get in trouble in school like me? Anybody get in trouble? Come on. 
All right, listen, you can be, we believe in being what we call hot at this church, honest, open, and transparent in church. So if you got in trouble in school like me, come on, raise your hand. It's okay. All right, thank you. If you did not raise your hand, we probably would not have been friends. I'm just saying. Um, Here's the reason I got in trouble so much. I was a little bit emotional, a tad bit dramatic, and I like to talk. Not a lot has changed. Um, One of my joys as a father is getting to see some of these attributes in my own daughters. Uh, My oldest daughter, Olivia, she is emotional, a tad bit dramatic, and she likes to talk a lot. And so I have taken it upon me to foster these gifts inside of my daughter. (laughs) This has nothing to do with my story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. On Friday... Um, we were leaving our house and walking to school. We were going to school. We're about to walk out of the door, and Olivia looks back at Callie, and she goes, Mommy, I'm going to miss you so much. I'm going to miss you so much, and I'm going to cry. And then we walk outside, and she goes, Was that good, Daddy? I'm like, That was good, girl. Good job. <laughs> Listen, I think it's hilarious. And Callie goes, You think it's hilarious until she's 16 and doing the same thing to you. You know what I mean? But I, I would get in trouble a lot in, in school, and, and one of the places that I would actually get in trouble the most was in Sunday school. Uh, because my my dad was a pastor at the church we were at, and as the pastor's kid, when everybody else was watching The Simpsons, I was watching VeggieTales. And so everybody else was like not knowing what was going on in these Bible stories, but I knew even the Bible stories that no one else knew about. And so when it came question and answer time every single week, I made it my personal like agenda to answer every single question. But I had a problem. Um, My Sunday school teacher, her name was Miss Timaeus, And her grandson, little Jesse Timaeus, was in my Sunday school class. And so I never got called on to answer the questions. And so one Sunday, I had had enough. And I decided, here's what I'm going to do. Every single question, as soon as she calls on Jesse, I'm going to answer it. About six questions in, she looks at me and she goes, Joshua Ezel? She goes, would Jesus act like you're acting right now? And I'm like, I don't know, you're an adult, Woody. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm talking about the Bible here. Come on, give me a break. And so she asked that question, and then she asked me to come up to where she's standing. And she looks at me with serious eyes. She goes, you need to make sure Jesus is in your heart with the way you're acting. And she grabs the back of my arm like only my mom should, kind of like twists my arm and goes, go outside and go in the hallway and think about what you just did. And me being a tad bit dramatic and emotional, I start crying. I start crying really loud. And I get out in the hallway, and I'm sitting there, and I'm crying. And all of a sudden, Mama Bear comes around the corner. And when she comes around the corner, she goes, Joshua Scott Ezel. She goes, what did you do? She didn't ask what was wrong. She thought it was my fault immediately. I'm like, come on, Mom. Why is it always my fault? And so I told her what I did, but then I told her what was done to me. And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Don't nobody touch my son like that except for me. And she goes, stand up. Put your shoulders back. Wipe off your tears. We're going to go back in there, and we're going to tell her what's up. So all the kids are leaving. We walk back into the Sunday school room, and literally for the next 15 minutes, my mom tells Miss Timaeus what's up. She said words that my five-year-old ears had never heard and that those Pentecostal church halls, I promise you, had never heard in those 15 minutes. And then we walk back out, and she's like, that's how it's done, son. I go, Mom, I go, why did you take off your earrings and your high heels before we walked into the room? She goes, because you never know what's going to happen. I might be Christian on the outside, but I'm hood on the inside. (laughs) I'm being serious. That is my mom. People think I make it up. She's crazy. (laughs) But but you might might be like, what does that have to do with following God and taking God with you? I'm about to tell you. I'm glad you asked. Here's the thing. When I walked out of that room, I was defeated, I was sad, I was angry, and yeah, some of it was my own fault. 
But when I walked back into that room, I walked with my shoulders held high with a confidence and a boldness that I didn't have before. And it wasn't that when I walked into that room, my situation had changed. But who was with me when I walked into that room changed. See, I had a confidence and a boldness that I didn't have before because when I walked into that room, I was not alone. I had the presence and the authority of Sandra Nell Reams with me. See, here's the thing. How many times in our life are we sitting in the hallways of our life? And are we upset and sad and angry and hurt and frustrated and broken and hurting? And we're just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Here's what I think would happen. If God rocked around the corner, he wouldn't ask you, what did you do? But he would come up and he would say, hey, listen, I know what's happened. I know what you did. I know what's been done to you. But here's what you can do. You can stand up and you can stand tall and you can wipe the tears from your eyes and you can have boldness and you can have confidence because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you over 2,000 years ago. It is written. It is done. He literally has defeated everything. And so you can walk into every situation knowing that you carry his power and his authority and his presence with you. I heard that. I don't know who said that, but we have to know that everywhere that we go, man, we take God with us. And that's what David knew. And see, David, what I think is so important in this story is David had success after success after success. And he was about to transition into being king. But he knew during this transition season, I can't let off the gas. I got to keep going after God. How many times in our life, whenever we get a transition season, maybe we've been praying for a relationship, praying for a marriage, praying for a kid, and all of a sudden we got the relationship, we got the marriage, we got the kid, we got the job, and now we're like, God, I'm good, I got you. And God's like, you're good? Like, I got you here, but now you don't need me? See, what we see in David's life is that, man, no matter where we go, we're not good. We need God in everything that we do, in every season, in every transition, at every level, in success, in failure, in everything that we do in life. We need the power and the presence and the authority of God. But so here's what I want to do today. I just kind of want to compare and contrast some things in this story, uh, just kind of three observations that I believe can help us to take ground in our life and take God with us. So if you're taking notes uh, the first point is this, is we have to surrender our way, our direction, and our strength. We have to surrender our way, our direction, and our strength. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of break this down verse by verse. So David, we know that he goes to get the ark, and when he went to get the ark, he actually didn't ask God, hey, should I go and get the ark? He just asked everybody else, they're like, yeah, it seems right. And so David went after the ark. He said, I'm going to go after God. I'm going to do what seems right. And so he went after the ark, and when he got there, it says they put the ark on a cart. But here's the thing. The ark was never supposed to be carried on a cart. The ark was supposed to be carried, which we see in chapter 15, on poles on the shoulders of the Levites. And so when David got there, what he decided to do was, okay, well, the ark was on a cart before, so let's just keep it on a cart now. And what he did is he tried to do something godly, but he didn't invite God in it. How many times in our life do we try to do something godly, but we don't even invite God into it? How many times do we choose convenience over obedience? Because that's what David did in this moment. He's like, well, there's a cart, there's the ark, it worked before, so let's try it again. He didn't even ask God, like, hey, like, should I do this? Like, is this the right way to do it? How should I, how should I go about this? I can think in my own life how many times I do this as well. How many times I choose convenience 
over obedience. And can I tell you why I do it so many times? Because I know I got like a Christian scorecard at the end of the day, like, did I read my Bible? Check. Did I pray? Check. And so what I can do is I can read the verse of the day on my Bible app. I can pray a prayer that I recite over and over again. But if I'm not careful, what will happen is those moments when I choose convenience over obedience is that I can actually take something, my relationship with God, and turn it into a religious obligation instead of a spiritual necessity. I mean, so many times we can do this in our life. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with reading the verse of the day. Don't hear me wrong. Yes, please read the verse of the day. Please say your prayers. Please do these things that we talk about doing as a church. But don't do it out of a religious obligation. Do it because of a spiritual necessity. And when you do those things, actually invite God into it. Say, God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to say to me? Do you actually want me to do something different? Maybe you want me to read not just that verse, but the whole entire chapter. Here's the thing. This is one of the areas of my life that I've seen play out because I do this over and over again. I don't like to be inconvenienced. Just ask my wife. I mean, like our kids will get up to go potty in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to wake up to go potty again. Come on. I really don't like to be inconvenienced. And so, so many times, if I have the choice between convenient and inconvenient, I'm going convenient all the way. And so, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was really struggling with anxiety, panic, stress. It was like everything. And I remember I had two panic attacks. And at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I've had enough. All that I know to do is to go online and to find a devotional for anxiety. And so I did. I went online, and I found a devotional for anxiety. It was five days, and your anxiety will go away. Poof. And literally, it said five days to an anxiety-free life. And I did every single thing that this devotional said. And five days later, my anxiety, my panic, all those things were still there. And so actually, I think it was even a little bit worse because I was like, God, I tried this for you, and it didn't work. And I remember just finally being like, okay, God, now that we're five days in, I'm actually going to invite you into it. And so I remember sitting on the floor. It was in our apartment where Callie and I live by the airport. So this was a few years ago on Cimarron Boulevard. I remember sitting on the floor, and I just go, God, I go, I tried this. It didn't work. I thought it was going to work. I was pursuing you, which I thought I was pursuing you, but really I just read and did these things. I'm like, why didn't this work? What's going on? And this is literally what I felt like in my heart. As I felt like God in that moment was like, Josh, it's because you tried to deal with the symptom, which is anxiety and panic. But if you would have asked me, I would have told you that the reason you have anxiety and the reason you have panic is because of your fear of rejection. And until we deal with your fear of rejection, then that anxiety and that panic and that stress and that worry, it's never going to leave. See, so many times in life, we can even do godly things but not, not invite God into it. We can choose to do what's convenient. We can order a book off of Amazon like I did called How to Kickstart Your Walk with God. Instead of actually getting into the presence of God and saying, God, what do you want from me? And that's what we see here in the story is David, he didn't do that. And he went to go and do this thing and he chose convenience over obedience. He did not surrender his way. But if we're going to walk with God and take God with us, we have to surrender our way. And the second thing we see in this story It's not going to be point two yet, but it's kind of part of point one. This is a lot today. I'm telling you guys, I really felt like God spoke to me this week when it came to this. I even was trying to figure out how can I not preach as much of this. But what I figured out is, is no, like I need to actually walk through this and preach all of it because all of it is important. And I believe that one of these things today will speak to each and every one of you. 
And so we see that he didn't surrender his way. And so they put it on this cart and they start going. And the next thing you notice in the story, when we were reading it at the beginning, is it said Uzzah and Ahio were actually leading the presence of God. So they were going in their own direction, trying to lead God where they wanted to go. How many times in our life do we do the exact same thing? How many times do we go into prayer and we are trying to pray God to where we want to go? How many times do we like go, God, like, I want this job at this place, making this much money, doing this kind of thing. Instead of when we go into prayer, letting our prayers be guided by God. And letting him guide us to the destination, the expectation, the revelation that he has for our life. But so many times what we'll do is we'll do just like in this story. We'll try to lead God where we want God to go instead of letting God lead us where he wants to go. Mind you, the presence of God had led itself from the land of Philistine to the land of Israel. All alone. So for us, if we're going to take God with us, we've got to surrender our way. We've got to surrender our direction. And the third thing you see right here in this passage is we've got to surrender our strength. And so because they put it on the cart, because they were trying to lead it, all of a sudden they get to this threshing floor. It's super slippery. And the guy named Uzzah, Uzzah actually means strength in Hebrew. That's what Uzzah's name means. He took his hand out and he tried to steady the ark of God. And it cost him his life. It was the first time in over 400 years that God needed a hand. It's kind of a joke there. Somebody, hopefully you got it. But, but here's the thing. How many times do we feel like we need to give God a hand? Do we feel like, God, like, I, 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 I need this to go faster. God, I, I, this isn't working the way that I thought it would go. God, I thought that this was going to be easier. So now I'm going to give you a hand. And I'm going to start doing it in my own strength because your strength is not getting me there fast enough to the destination that I want to go. So we see David, the first time he tried to do this, he didn't surrender his way. He didn't surrender his direction. He didn't surrender his strength. And so what did he do? He wound up angry at God for 90 days. 90 days he was angry. He was mad. He was upset. And then all of a sudden, 90 days later, he goes, all right, we're going to try this again. We're going to try it differently. And 90 days later, you know what David did? He surrendered his way. He surrendered his direction. And he surrendered his strength. And he went back to get the ark. And here's what I love about it. When you go back and you read 1 Chronicles 15, it actually takes and combats each one of those things. So in 1 Chronicles 15, he surrendered his way. So at the very beginning of 1 Chronicles 15, he goes, hey, the Levites, you're going to carry it this time. We're not going to put it on the ark. He surrendered his direction at the end of 1 Chronicles 15. It says that they praised God because God had brought the ark and the Levites up from the Kidron Valley. See, the thing that he had to do is realize if I'm going to take God with me, it's not going to be because of me. It's not going to be because of my strength, my way, or my direction. It's going to be because of God's direction, because of God's way, and because of God's strength in my life. I love how Jesus, how he echoes this in the New Testament, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Please write this down. He says, Come to me, all, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I, I love this. And he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you know what a yoke is, I know sometimes we don't because we don't live in those days, but a yoke was this thing they would use for oxen. It had two slots in it, and they would put it on the neck of the oxen. And so what Jesus was saying here is, if you will come to me, you're probably worn out because you've been trying your own way, your own strength, all these things. If you'll come to me, and what will happen is, is you can take my yoke, and we'll do this together. You don't have to do it on your own. 
See, they would take an older oxen and they would put it with a younger oxen. And what the older oxen would do is the older oxen would set the direction and the older oxen would set the strength and then the younger oxen would just learn how to do it. So what Jesus is saying, I will be your direction. I will be your strength. Just, just come to me. And then he goes, and then I will teach you. Just learn from me. One of the versions of this verse actually says, I will teach you my ways. And so what Jesus is asking us to do and what David did is he goes, hey, you've got to come to me. If you're going to take God with you in everything that you do, you've got to come to me. I will be your direction. I will be your strength. And I will show you the way to go. So if we're going to take God with us, we've got to surrender our way, our strength, our direction. The second point is this. We've got to surround ourselves with the right people. We've got to surround ourselves with the right people. Listen, this is so important because the first time that David went to go and get the ark, he went with the wrong people. And it didn't go good. But the second time, he actually went with the right people. And it went well. He actually succeeded in his life. Uh, this verse in 1 Chronicles 15, 13. I want to read this really quick. It says this. It says, Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord of our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. Do you have people in your life that you can go up to like David did and say, Hey, I got it wrong the first time. I didn't do it the right way. I did it in my own strength. I didn't go the right direction, but this time, I want you to help me get it right. Because that's what David did. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Because if you're going to take God with you, and if your future is going to be different than your past, you're going to have to have people that you have surrounded yourself with who are actually going to help you get to the destination where you want to go. Because you will not do it alone. You might need someone to come up beside you and go, Hey, remember last week when you told me you were going to do that a different way? Um, let me help remind you that you're doing that a different way. Remember when you told me you're going to go a different direction? Let, let me help remind you that you said you're going a different direction. Do you have those people in your life that you can be open with, that you can be transparent with, that you can be honest and you can say, hey, guess what? I didn't get it right. I need you to help me get it right. Do you have people that you can be open with? Do you have people that you can be transparent with? Um, has anybody ever ate too much at a restaurant? Anybody? Come on. You, you go in looking like The Rock, come out looking like Chris Farley. Anybody else? Um, every time I go to eat at a restaurant, which is not often now that we have kids, um, I always eat way too much. I always let my, my eyes overload my stomach, as my dad used to say. But uh, one of our favorite restaurants is Rustique. And we went there a few months ago. Whenever we went, I'm like, hey, babe, you can get anything on the menu. And then I saw what was on the menu. I was like, anything but those seven things right there because we're balling on a budget. You know what I mean? And, uh, but we got so much food that night, and I ate a whole lot of food. And you know when you get to that point when you've eaten too much, but you know you want to keep eating, so you know you have, like, one thing you can do. I just sound real country. Keep eating. You, you like, you can loosen your belt buckle. You kind of unbutton your pants a little bit just so everything fits. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to be honest, open, and transparent this morning, okay? Well, I remember getting to that point, and I was like, I can't do that, though. This is like a nice restaurant. <laughs> this isn't my grandma's house at Thanksgiving. Like, I can't do that. And so I remember, like, literally getting, our, getting everything, paying the bill, and then I get in the car, and the first thing I do is, like, unbuckle my belt, and I take and open my pants a little bit because I was like, I need some room. Uh, who do you have that you can unbutton your pants around? I'm just kidding. No, hopefully it's your wife <laughs> or spouse. But, but for real, like, you're, you're in that situation. That was, that was a good one. Um, but you're, you're, you're in these situations where I looked around the room and I realized, man, like, there's no way I could be myself with anybody in here. Who do you have that you can be yourself around? Who do you have that you can be transparent with? Who do you have that you can, you can do like David and say, man, I messed up. I didn't get it right. 
Here's the thing. That's why we have groups. We talked about it today. But here's one of the things I wanted to show you guys is this. Is every week, you know, we do our prayer and praise time. And this past week, we got in a lot of prayers from both campuses. This is just half of the prayers that we got in. A majority of the prayers from this past week have to do with loneliness and depression. Here's the thing. Loneliness has become an epidemic in our world. 26% of people say they don't even have a close friend. 46% of people say they feel high levels of loneliness every single day. Listen, we're not called to do this thing alone. We are not called to do life alone, and you will never take God with you if you decide to do life alone because everywhere that God goes and everywhere that Jesus went, like, he went with people. Even Jesus understood it. If I'm going to do what God has me to do, I'm going to go with people. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he turned around to his disciples and he goes, listen, my heart is aching. I'm in despair. Can you, can you pray with me? Listen, I love that we are able to have these moments where we pray for people on Sundays, where we have these prayer things. But who do you have that you can call on a Monday through Saturday and you can say, hey, can you pray with me? Can you pray with me? I've gone through something. Listen, I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you to get in groups, to not do life alone, because if you're going to take God with you, if you're going to go where God has called you to go, and you're going to do the things that he's called you to do, you're never going to get there alone. And listen, the third and final point is this, and the band can come out. If you want to take ground, you've got to share what God has given you. So I love David. He, he goes and he gets the ark. He's successful the second time. And whenever he comes back, to Jerusalem. This is what it says in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 2 through 3. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. And so what I loved here is David, he decided if I'm going to take God with me, I can't keep God to myself. And I love that when he got back to Jerusalem, the first thing that he did was he decided, I'm going to pray for people. So he he shared something spiritually with them, but he goes, I'm also going to give them some food. I'm going to help meet a physical need that they have. See, here's the thing, guys. When, when we really surrender our ways to God, when we surrender our strength, when we surrender our direction to God, when we surround ourselves with other people, we will realize the thing that God has called us to do is now that we are surrendered to him and we are taking God with us in our life is to take God everywhere and to everyone that we meet. What if the church actually realized that every single one of us, we are walking, talking, billboards for Jesus? Everywhere that we go, you may be the only Jesus that someone sees. Everything that you do, you may be the only Jesus that someone sees. That is what taking God with you is all about. Yes, it helps you in your personal life. Yes, it helps you in your relationships. But you are not called to keep the God that is living on the inside of you to yourself. Everyone in the Bible who had an encounter with God, who had an encounter with Jesus, they did not let it stop with them. They went out and they told other people about what God had done for them. And they shared what God had given them. How different would your world look if you actually took God into everything that you did, you took his joy, his peace, you took his love into everything that you did. Could you imagine if in a year and in a nation that's so divided as it is right now, if the church of God was known as a church that was united in the way that we love people? We have to take God with us. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He goes, you're the light of the world. 
a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can't leave home without it. What God has put on the inside of you, you don't need to leave home without it. What God has done for you, you don't need to leave home without it. The things that God has blessed you with, you don't need to leave home without it. You need to take it and you need to share it with every person that you know. So many times what we try to do is we try to compartmentalize life. We keep work with work, friends with friends, family with family, and church with church. But when we compartmentalize our life, unknowingly we compartmentalize God in our life. What would our life look like if every situation that we went into, we realized that we are taking God with us? That we are literally, the presence of God is on the inside of us. And where the presence of God is, there is peace, and there is joy, and there is love, and there is hope. What if we realize that we are taking God with us? That is why this is so important, because I can promise you, you're going to go into situations, and you're going to, Start surrendering things to God. And as you begin to surrender things to Him, you're going to begin to trust Him more, which then lets you surrender more. But when you get into situations where maybe you didn't take God before, God's going to be like, hey, I need you to go say this to that person. You'll be like, what? Like, you need me to go, yeah, go, go, go tell them I love them. You need me to go tell them I love them? But when you begin to surrender and you take that step and you go, hey, I don't know why, but I know it sounds generic, but God wanted me to tell you He loves you. I can tell you so many times where I felt like God has told me to say something to someone. I didn't know why he told me to do it. And honestly, I didn't want to do it. I'm uh, just being honest. But I did it. And I remember people at certain times, tears just streaming down their face. Like I was wondering if, if, if God even loved me, if anyone even loved me. But he loved me enough to tell someone in a Publix to come up and talk to me and tell me that he loved me. And what if you realize that you took God with you everywhere that you go? What if you realize that as you surrender your life to him, as you give everything to him, that you are literally taking him with you everywhere that you go? And what if you listened for his voice? What if you followed his voice? What if you did the things that he said and you realized that it was your job as a follower of Christ to take the presence of God with you and the love of God with you everywhere that you go? And it is, it is so important. And, and here's the thing, it, it all comes back down to surrender. It all comes back down to surrender. It all comes back down to trust. Um, I remember um, when we were going through the adoption process, uh, one of the things that one of the things that was hard was the melding of our, our family becoming one. Um, if you don't know, Callie and I, we, we adopted two girls from Nigeria a little over a year ago. They are now ages six and seven. Um, but there was a lot of surrender that had to take place in this. And it, it kind of reflects our life and our walk with God a lot. Because see, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, man, we are now in God's family. But in order for God to start moving in our life and for us to be able to take God with us in everything that we do, we have to start surrendering to him. And so I remember being in Nigeria and our oldest daughter, Olivia, um, surrender was not a word that she knew at all. Um, she did not want to surrender her ways, her direction, her strength. We would literally tell her to do something, and she would, like, not do it and then go, ha, ha, And I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? Um, I remember getting to a point where I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Is she ever going to 
trust us? Is she ever going to want to, like, surrender anything to us? Like, she, she doesn't want, I don't even feel like she wants anything to do with us. And a few days later after that, she got sick. And when she got sick, her eye it swelled up, swelled up, whichever the word is. It, it got real big. <laughs> and she could hardly even close it. And I remember uh, we had to go try and find some medicine for her. And so I got on the back of a bike in the middle of Nigeria and went. I would not suggest that because I was the only white guy there. It was crazy. I did not know where I was going. I did not have a map. And I was just like, I need medicine. And this guy's like, come with me. And luckily, I made it back home safe. I remember going to get the medicine, and when we get back home, we were giving the medicine, and the pharmacist, this is what he said. He goes, I need you to take a hot compress, a hot towel. I need you to actually compress her eye a few different times a day. And if you do it for a few days in a row, it should go away. And you give her these antibiotics, it should go away. Well, I remember us going home and to the apartment in Nigeria and trying to do that. Um, the first time we tried to do that, um, it was like all hell broke loose. It was crazy. She did not want for it to happen. But here's what I noticed over the next few days as we began to just kind of help her as she was sick and we began to do these things that the doctor asked us to do. You know, the swelling starts to go down and then as she starts to see it getting better, she realizes, oh my gosh, like, I think I can trust you guys. I think that you do have my best interest at heart. I think that, you know, I've been hurt and broken as a child, but maybe I can trust you. Some of you in here, You've been hurt and you've been broken. You've been wondering, can I trust God? Listen, you can trust him. You can trust him no matter what you have been through, no matter what you have gone through, you can trust him and you can begin to surrender. And here's what I promise you, as you begin to surrender your life to God, as you begin to surrender your ways and your direction and your strength to him, you'll begin to trust him. And then because you see him move in your life, you'll begin to surrender more. And then I believe that as you do that, that your life is going to be a testimony to people one day. That you're going to be able to tell people what God did on the inside of you. That nobody else could have done it. You tried it your own way. You tried it in your own strength. You tried to go in your own direction. But that God was the only one who could do it because of Jesus Christ. Listen, I believe it with everything in my heart because I've seen it in my own life. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. It all starts with surrender. We can't take God with us unless we first surrender our life to Him. The Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory. And Jesus, He became the standard. And so He lived up to that standard. He became the sacrifice for us. And He boldly proclaimed that He was the way, the truth, and the life. That no person could come to God unless they accepted Him, unless they surrendered their life to Him. And the Bible says all we have to do is believe in our hearts that he died on the cross and that he rose again and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and then we are saved. We are safe with him. And listen, guys, there's nothing that we could have done to work for it. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't pay for it. It's a free gift called grace. We couldn't get it in our own way, in our own strength, or in our own direction. It only comes through surrender because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to surrender my life to Christ for the first time. Or maybe I want to surrender my life to Christ for the first time in a long time. I'm just going to ask that you would lift your hand on the count of three all around the room. If you want to commit your life to Christ for the first time, surrender, give your life to him today. Or recommit your life for the first time in a long time on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Raise them. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. We can do better than that. These are people who are going from lost to found, from death to life. Come on. Come on, all across the room, let's say this prayer together as a sign of faith. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross and he rose again for me. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate one more time? Everyone who gave their life to Jesus this morning. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Orlando or to get in touch with us, please visit celebrationorlando.org.